dear lord thank you for today thank you for another saturday morning that we get to study your word together thank you for the book of titus thank you for all we've learned thank you for how far we've come thank you for today and all we are set to cover i pray that there is wisdom i pray that there is understanding i pray that the truth of your word rings through rings true in our hearts that we're able to apply all that we learn and even teach others in jesus name amen 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 good morning good afternoon good evening anytime anybody's listening to this thank you all for joining and for joining early um when titus part three last week a friend of mine was listening to the podcast said wow we actually went through is it 11 verses or so in how many minutes said wow that's a miracle so you're not serious <laughs> um but yeah we're going to probably go just as quick um again today because like i said at the start of titus a lot of the things we're covering we've already learned them in first and second timothy and so i would only bring emphasis where emphasis is necessary um we stopped at titus 2 verse 6 right um but before then i just wanted to share i was listening to a teaching on the temptations of jesus over the week very very interesting and uh this is not journey through the gospels so i'm not going to dwell on it but um just a few thoughts for you to think about um and of course some of these things we, we probably might already know them but it was about the nature of the temptations of jesus and i think it somehow fit into some of the things we had been talking about in um our teachings through the ministerial episodes which is why i'm sharing it uh if you don't remember the story so jesus gets baptized this is someone that um has been living with his parents i'm sure his mom has probably told him the circumstances of his birth if our own nigerian parents have said when you were two the lord so <laughs> i'm very sure mary had given him everything ah when before you were born that's how your father did not know but thank god he did not divorce me this and that we went to egypt we went here we went this herod wanted to kill everybody wise men came um i'm sure jesus knew all of that um and sometimes so people ask or might not be sure they don't know we assume jesus was born with some special revelation that i am speak not i'm not not uh, the accent special special s-p-a-t-i-a-l for you say ah what is special <laughs> um a revelation that he was the son of god um but not exactly he also through learning came to that point we talked about that in hebrew so eh? yes he came to that point and this would have been a big part of that right um his mom would tell him the stories his parents would ensure that he grew up knowing his identity knowing um the scriptures and all of that and for 30 years or so so the historians say jesus is growing he's doing carpentry he's going to the synagogue every week and imagine 
I don't know if you were Jesus how would you feel um you know you've been sent on a mission to to save all of mankind and here you are doing carpentry with your father living in your small village going to church in quotes every every weekend and that's pretty much it and i can imagine if jesus had friends yeah <laughs> brosji when you go shake up this world <laughs> when will you shake up this world uh-uh, you are more than this you're bigger than this <laughs> you've been sent to the nations jesus what are you doing in nazareth um i'm still going to the temptations don't worry <laughs> but right there very very important lesson jumps out which is a story of timing and something we've talked about over and over and over again that as a mature believer you it's not enough to know the what sometimes we we hear the what excited and you just run <laughs> there is always a when there is always preparation and it's it takes maturity humility and wisdom to know god's when to know god's when to know god's when jesus is just one of many examples all through scriptures of this very important point if the son of god had to wait 30 years before it was the right time um i'm not saying you have to wait 30 years don't get me wrong i'm saying pay attention to divine timing pay attention to the when in the things god has asked you to do and during that time um learn to just like jesus as opposed to i'm sure he wasn't complaining i'm sure he wasn't like i can't wait this carpentry stuff so no 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 i'm sure whatever he had to do in fact i think luke records it that after that point he obeyed his parents and he grew he did he made the most of where he found himself whether it was the carpentry job he did it as unto the lord whether it was being a big brother as unto the lord being a good son being a good citizen as unto the lord until it was time and so in your moments of waiting rather than complaining or just spending all your time fantasizing um fantasizing about what will happen when in court it is time let god build you let god prepare you make the most of what you have right now rather than complaining ah, what am i doing in this life to five i know i'm sent to the nations <laughs> calm down um grow learn god knows why it is not time and so it will be foolishness or hastiness to run ahead of his will very important but anyways um that's the first part of the story we're still getting to the temptations right um so he finally it's he's 30 and perhaps through divine leading or whatever is like it's time to start go get baptized and then he goes he gets baptized and right there at his baptism um which is another thing because if he went 10 years earlier john might not have started baptizing people then and so there will be no confirmation for john 
right? Which was the entire purpose of his ministry. John would never have been able to utter that pronunciation upon whom you see the Spirit fall. That is the Lamb of the world. John would never have said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away sins. Um, the entire prophecy of Malachi about a forerunner, boom, dropped to the ground just because Jesus was too excited and started 10 years earlier than he should have. And so there is a, always a wisdom to God's timing. Whether it has to do with the, the right, and we're going to talk about this a bit more, like I said, when we talk about the timing of the gospel, God always, because it is bigger than you, whatever the assignment, whatever the work, people are needed. As far as there are other factors, there would always be a timing to it. So that the right people, the right circumstances, the right occasions are set in place to do whatever it is that God will have you do. That God will have you do. And so in Jesus' timing was also John's timing. In your own, whatever God has asked you to do, someone else is probably tied along that same journey. And so... Again, it's that call that in obeying God, as far as you re realize it is God's work, first and foremost, then let's do it God's way and in God's time. But anyways, back to the baptism. So he gets there, he's baptized. And then as he comes out of that water, there's a vision, right? Of the dove descending or the spirit descending as a dove. Um the Father speaking from heaven, timing the prophecies of Isaiah and David and all of those cool stuff in the Old Testament. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so right there at the start of Jesus's ministry, he gets that confirmation. John gets that confirmation. This is the son of God. This is the son of God. This is the son of God. Right? Meaning he is God's chosen person. He is the fulfillment of that scripture. That son that would, that would restore all that is broken in the world, in Israel and in the world. And that is, that is, the, um, that is the launch pad for Jesus' ministry. Right? God has just validated you. This is my son. But then the next thing, he doesn't just go. <laughs> go and manifest the world after all is waiting endlessly for the manifestations of the sons of god so jesus god has called you his son go and manifest no he says he's led into the wilderness where he was tested by the devil another very important lesson the first one so far we've talked about timing the second one is in the experiences that come with following God. One would assume God has endorsed him. Oh yeah, go and start doing what he asked you to do. No, there was a period of grueling tests. And we're going to get into the nature of those tests, right? There was a period of testing that at any point in time, in fact, the devil so knew that it's like, are you really the son of God? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? And it's no different from the experiences we face following God. 
God sees something. A prophecy. Someone tells you a prophecy. There's conviction in your heart. There's confirmation that, oh, this is actually the voice of the will of God. But then shortly after, the situation around it starts to almost be the exact opposite. Think about it. You are sent to save the world. The next, the very first thing you do after a confirmation is to go into the wilderness where nobody is. How are you going to, who are you going to save in the wilderness? Who are you going to save in the wilderness? So it's almost like in terms of direction, you are going the wrong way. In terms of experiences, if God is, I am this son of God now, things should be, but it's the opposite. You are, you are fasting 40 days, no food. It says you are with the beast. Is it, is, is it lion that God sends me to? Is it, is it lizards in the, in the desert that I'm supposed to see? And for some of you, maybe that's something you can relate with. That in following the will, you're like, I'm so sure God sent me to this country. I know without a doubt. Why then are things so hard? I know without a doubt God told me to do this. Why does it look like as soon as I stepped out, it's the opposite of everything God said? This might just be why. Again, it's still part of the preparation. It's still a call to trust God. Will you trust him? Even if the direction seems wrong, even if the experiences look like the opposite of everything you have seen in the place of prayer, Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Because it's funny. It's the exact same thing the Israelites went. He says, I'm taking, right from Egypt, he already said, I'm taking you to a land filled with milk and honey. They left Egypt and then boom, they're in the wilderness. And they failed the test. They're like, God, what, did you bring us out here to die? Some of us have asked that question in a different way. God has done something and then now things are looking like, God, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> God, are you still here? Is, uh, I thought, right? I thought. Did you bring us out here to die? And they're like, let us go back. At least in Egypt. Can you imagine? In Egypt, we had food to eat. The same place they were dying. They were being oppressed. He said, let's, let's go back there. There's no, there's no promise. There's, there's no milk and honey here. There's nothing for us. And so Jesus was put in a similar situation, of course, theologically, because he was to signify the human that passes the test, the new Israel and all of that. But that's not my emphasis for today. The point is, let's look at Jesus' experience. And so... Even in the will of God, there seemed to be contradictions. In the will of God. Literally, in the will of God. But again, it was a call to trust. It was a time of training. A time of preparation. Hebrews says he was at every point tested just like we are. Yet without fault. And because of that, he is fit to be captain of our salvation. Right? That was, it was necessary. It was necessary. And so for some of you, the tests are necessary. Don't lose heart. Don't doubt what God has said. Don't get discouraged. 
again look to the comfort of scriptures and from there get hope you're not out of the will of god you're not out of the will of god just because it's hard doesn't mean god is not god didn't send you or you're not where god wants you to be amen all right so that's the second thing um again i don't know i just i was preparing my notes today and i felt i should start with this story and then we'll get to time so whoever is meant to bless let it bless you we're still going on um so 40 days <laughs> he's chilling he's praying he's hungry <laughs> he's probably seen stars i've never done 40 days right i mean maybe dry i don't i've never i've done uh we've we've tried to do i remember then um my church we did 100 <laughs> so we'll break at six every day and it's we're going 100 100 100 <laughs> Those things are easier when there's a group. But um, I don't know. It is well. Anyway, so first temptation comes. It says the devil comes up to him. Of course, if you are thinking about some red guy, buff guy with wings and uh, tail, <laughs> sharp tail and the horns, and then he comes and says, like, I know you. You are the devil. <laughs> I'm like, yes. I'm here to test you. You've watched too much movies. <laughs> That's the problem. No, of course not. Um, this is describing, like if you say the devil came or the devil, and we'll get that the devil took him up to a mountain. The devil took him up to the top of a, of a city. Jesus, imagine so it's Jesus and the devil, they are taking a walk. That's the devil and that's Jesus. And then they climb, just is hiking. After two days, he gets to the top of, the tallest mountain in Israel. And then the devil now says, we've caught our breath. Now, let me show you around the world. Or they see, do you think someone's allowed Jesus to stand on the top of say, ah, who is that man climbing our temple? Say, it's Jesus and the devil just sleeping. He's being tested. He's being tested. No. Again, you've watched too much movies. <laughs> These were most likely visions, not most likely, almost certainly visions and things that occurred in the mind which I'll get to. But the first one, the devil comes and says, Jesus, if you are the son of God, just turn this stone to bread. Right? You're hungry. I know you're hungry. You know you're hungry. God knows you're hungry. You are God's son. You are not supposed to suffer. <laughs> I can imagine that conversation just turn the stone to bread i don't know if you've thought about that temptation long enough why was it even a temptation in the first place like i, I, I for me i've always asked that question like if the devil never came to jesus right and he just turned it to bread like let's say he was like i'm hungry i'm jesus and he turned it to bread and ate would it still be, have been wrong I don't know. Have you ever thought about that? Was it wrong just because it's like when you're um, when you're in school and your friends dare you? You're like I could have done it either ways, but now that you, like, I have to. <laughs> I must show myself. See, I dare you to go and tell this teacher so and so. Ah, they've dared me. <laughs> Is what was wrong the action, or what was wrong responding to a dare? Have you thought about that before? 
that is it that jesus was what was wrong turning stone to bread or what was wrong responding to the devil which one was it and it's a very important question because we're going to talk about the implications again if these things are happening in the mind and they form a template that every believer goes through then it's important you know what is happening in that scenario right and so we can learn we can answer that question by looking at jesus's response jesus's response was it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of god every word from the lord right sorry okay i got distracted and so what is jesus saying jesus is saying somehow me me um turning this stone to bread to satisfy my hunger is me not trusting in the word of the lord how have you thought about i'm i'm curious i don't know have you guys ever asked yourself that question? or do you unlike me do you know what it means <laughs> like that's what jesus is saying right that somehow me turning this stone to bread is me um not trusting god enough that's a very very interesting scenario why because what jesus is saying is that if to validate my identity or to attach my identity to my experience is not trusting god i'm going somewhere i'm going somewhere with that because the second test is very similar so i'm going to pause on this first test then we'll go to the second test and you understand what exactly is going on in the first and the second it was more than bread it was a call to trust god or to change your experience to validate your identity and i'm going to get there because we do that as believers in fact sometimes we hear it preached <laughs> and i submit to you that is the voice of the devil <laughs> all right the second test was what he goes up to a mountain sorry to the top of the, the pinnacle of the temple and the devil says jump for it is written he will give his angels charge over you i mean uh -uh, you are jesus now god cannot let you die uh -uh. emoji emoji just jump just jump and jesus says it is also written you shall not test the lord your god you shall not test the lord your god and so the devil in the first place was trying to cause jesus to do something of his own accord to validate his identity to make his situation better the second case he's trying to put god in a position to validate his promise to make his situation better it's not different from where people say uh -uh, are you not a christian how can you be going through this if god really loved you he would not have or he would have you've been in that position before haven't you 
you've been in that position and like god if i'm really your child <laughs> change this what are you doing there you're doing the very thing that jesus did not do you are trying to make a case that your experience proves your identity if i'm really a child of god this should not have happened to me if i'm really a child of god i should not be going through this if i'm really a child of god how far right for some it's even worse you test <laughs> say i'm a child of god therefore 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 i can and in both scenarios jesus jesus's response is what i will trust god i don't need to force his hand i don't need to be checking you know how some people will say i want to, let me know if my boyfriend still loves me <laughs> i won't message him today <laughs> so see by how early he texts i can know <laughs> how important i am you are you are a manipulative person you are evil <laughs> or you've been badly advised <laughs> right um that's 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 the idea of oh um or even in the first scenario if i'm truly the son of god i should not be hungry right i should not be starving to death in this wilderness let me just turn the stone to bread let me just turn the stone to bread as though there's something in the description of a son of God that prevents hunger. No, it's not true. It's not true. Because it's the same thing the devil told Adam and Eve. It's the same thing he told those in the wilderness. Did God really say, you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve is like, ah, it's true. He said, we should not eat or we should not touch. What else would we done? He's like, no. Will it really die? Mm. You actually be wise. And so it's a call. Will you trust God or will you trust what seems to be desirable in the moment? What, what makes it an issue is that just like every sin, it is a play on your desire. It is a play on your desire. Jesus in the wilderness, the most obvious thing is that he's hungry. But the devil turns that desire for hunger and uses it in opposition to trusting God. Oh, in this moment, I'm trusting God for a child. The devil starts to play on that desire and calls on, will you trust God? Will you trust God's love for you? Will you trust your identity in God? Oh, I'm looking for a job. Will you trust God? Or will you tie this experience to who you are in Christ and his love for you? Oh, I'm looking for a partner. Would you trust God? Or will you trust the outcome of this scenario? Right? To my identity and to God's love for me. So when Jesus says, man shall not live, of course he was hungry. Like the desire there was hunger. Um, desire in itself is not a bad thing. And we're going to see in the third temptation why that's the case. Um, because that's it's literally a play on desires um because jesus was just told you are the son of god are you going to trust what god has said 
or do you need to see do you need to test and go test it <laughs> and see if it's really true i lost my train of thought yes so the same way jesus said man shall not live by bread he will simply it's it's a blanket response to say man shall not live by just the the fulfillment of my natural desires man will not live by finding a partner Man does not live by getting a job alone. Man does not live by getting a child alone. Man does not live by being in pleasurable circumstances or having his needs met, his physical needs met alone. Rather, man was also made to live by trusting God such that even when there's no bread, right? Because that's where the Israelites were. Even where there's no bread, I will trust God because he is my provider, not bread. Does that make sense? And so, Jesus passed the first two tests by simply what? Trusting. I will not test God. I will not doubt my identity. I will not even need to validate my identity by, 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 by the outcome of that experience. Right? And then, the final test is still a play on desires. He took him to a mountain. He showed him everything and said, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. Don't forget, what does it mean to be the son of God from prophecy? It means eventually all things will be given to the son. And so the very thing that the devil tempted Jesus with was still the very thing God had promised. The question then is not, will he or will he not get the kingdoms of the world? I hope you see that. It's that, how are you going to get it? Are you going to take the easy way and just let me just give you? Now, just now I'll give you. Or are you going to go God's way? But God's way is going to be painful. God's way is going to require rejection. God's way is going to require death. Are you going to trust God's way? Why are you going to take the easy way out? The desire for the kingdoms of the world was not misplaced. It was Jesus's to take. I want you to realize that. It was, it's, it's littered all over. And Jesus, of course, had read the scriptures. I'm sure cover to cover multiple times. He knew. He had read some to all the nations rage. He had read all. Oh, he had put all, to, all things under the feet. He knew those scriptures, but he also knew the Isaiah 53. He knew the suffering. He knew the pain. He knew, oh, they have pierced my hands and feet. Oh, all have rejected me. Oh, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? He knew. He knew. He knew that if he was truly the Messiah of this world, then obeying God was going to mean victory through suffering. And so the devil comes and presents a seeming alternative victory just by just pleasure just bow down to me and then he vexed <laughs> as i rebuke you i rebuke you for it is also written for it is also written and again just like jesus we are oftentimes put in positions where you're going to have to ask yourself this thing that i want or this thing that apparently maybe God has promised. Am I going to 
do it God's way? Or am I going to take the easy way out? Oh, I want to reach people for Jesus. Am I going to do it God's way? Or am I going to play to the desires of men? Am I going to compromise? Oh, this and this. God has promised this. Am I going to, even if God's way is painful and requires death? Because that's exactly what Peter did not realize. The very same temptation happened physically with his disciples. He says, who do you say I am? Peter says, uh-uh. Auntie I, uncle I, uncle I. So yeah, Peter, go ahead. You are the son of the living God. He says, good answer. Good answer. He now says, even so, the son must suffer and die. The same Peter, because in his head, the idea of the Messiah, the son of the living God, he had this picture in his head. It's victory, it's conquest, it's popularity, it's fame, it's this, it's that. And so just like you, I said, no, you are the Messiah. You are not going to die. A lot of times we think Peter somehow, um, he had a, um, was a bi- bipolar. He just, at one point, God was speaking to him. Mm. At another point, the devil just, not necessarily. He had a wrong idea of how God was going to save the world. And so it's not as though he was possessed. The Holy Spirit left him. The devil entered him. No, no, no. It's, it wasn't that dramatic, guys. The devil simply laid again on his idea slash desires of what a Messiah would be. And so in one moment, he was speaking by revelation. In the literally the next moment, the devil was speaking through him. Why? Because of his mind. Because of his mind. And so the de- Jesus had to, literally, he says, he rebuked him as the devil. He says, you savor not the things of God. And so what that means, as far as application goes, is that as believers, be very, very aware of what influences your thoughts, what influences your perspectives on life. Whenever you are in a place where you are tempted to doubt God's commitment to you, in a place where it seems like you can take the easy way out, you know what God has said. You know how, maybe, hopefully you know how. And you know, this is not exactly, but it's, it's, it's the same thing. Or wherever you are tempted to tie your identity to the outcome of a scenario, check it. That's the voice of the devil. And it happens in many ways than one. It can happen through friends. The same way Job's friends are like, uh-uh, are you really? His wife, she didn't even hide. She said, just cause God and die. He has left. <laughs> Marry well. <laughs> How can... They want nothing as if just cause you can't even you can't even stay small. Just say just cause God and die. The friends said, "Ah, Job, you're a bad man. God is judging you." They are painting false scenarios of God's love for you. Some it to be in It's like, ah, but God loves you. You should not be going through what you are going through. What are you trying to say? That's the devil talking. That's the devil talking. That's the devil talking. Whenever there's a play on your desires, that's like, oh, ah, God wants what is best for me. Therefore, this decision is the right decision. No, you are using the end to justify the means. 
if Jesus thought like that, he would have bowed. He's like, oh, God wants me to have, and he's not wrong. God wants me to have all the kingdoms of the world. So I might as well bow to you, get all the kingdoms. Boom. <laughs> right? Everybody's happy. That would have been the biggest mistake he could have made. And so the how, the means is very important to God. Don't rush it. Don't skip it. Don't for like Esau. Don't despise the means. And so for anyone going through whatever, and every believer, anyone who follows Christ, will find themselves in the wilderness where they will be tested by the devil. Fortunately, like Paul says, we are not ignorant of his devices. He doesn't really have, he doesn't come up with new strategies as it were. It's the same old, same old. He gets you to question your identity in God. He gets you to question God's identity in his word. And then he gets, he tries to appeal to your desires. If you can keep Jesus's words in mind, that my desires will never overshadow my dependence on God, that God's way is the best. God's time is the best. Or that I don't need to test God's love to be sure that he loves me. I don't need to jump from the top of a temple to be sure that he loves me. I don't need to turn stone to bread to be sure that I am where or I am who God says I am. If you can keep those lessons in mind, then just like Jesus, you would find yourself time and time again seeing victories over the devil. Whether in your mind, whether through the words of friends, whether through the words of skeptics, right? Because literally, even while Jesus was on the cross, and that's the funny thing, every single temptation that happened in the wilderness kept on happening, right? The gospel said the devil went to come again when there was a more opportune time. And we see that all through his ministry. While he was on the cross, they said it. If you are the son of God, if you really are a prophet, come down. Uh -uh. Save yourself. Again, they are trying to use his experiences to deny his identity and his purpose. It's like, I am meant to go through the wilderness for 40 days. I'm not supposed to turn stone to bread, even though I'm hungry. I am meant to die for the sins of the world. I'm not supposed to come down now. So there are times where in the will of God, it's, in, it's an unpleasant experience, but I will not, for any reason, then cut it short and cut off what God is doing just to prove to myself that ah, this is who I am. No. The same thing. They literally, the crowds gathered around this. We will make you king. I'm just like, ah, that's it now. I'm supposed to be king. Oh yeah, come and make me king. See, he ran away because that was not God's way. And that was not God's when. That was not God's way. That was not God's when. Same thing in Isaiah 53. We looked at him as someone who was despised. Someone was, and he's like, does God, God has abandoned this one. Yet, it was that very person, more than anyone in history, that God was with. That God was with. That God was with. So keep that in mind. As you go through life, as you go through temptations, as you go through questions and wrestlings in the experiences and the occurrences of your life, Again, like I said, or like I've said 
several times over when balancing teachings like this, there is wisdom to discern the hand of the devil and to rebuke. You just did not see the woman with the shovel and say, ah, this is God's way for you. Just be going. No, no, no. <laughs> he, <laughs> he dried up that disease right there. And so I'm not talking about that whenever, when the next time you're sick, the next time something by say, ah, I am the son of God. Suffering is my lot. <laughs> that would be a very, 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 very bad application of what, I'm, of what I'm telling you now. I'm simply saying, in the will of God, that's the context. In the will of God, if things don't look like they seem, be very careful because that is when the devil tries to raise his head. That's when the devil tries to raise his head. He made Adam and Eve think God was holding out on them. That there were good things that God didn't want them to have. It couldn't be any further from the truth. He made the Israelites think that he led them only to suffer. Does God really love me? Does God really love me? Is God Can God be trusted? Same question he asked Eve. Same question he asked the Israelites. Same question he asked Jesus. The same question he would ask you. Can God be trusted? And I pray that just like Jesus, you would be able to say, get thee behind me, Satan. I trust God. Get thee behind me, Satan. I trust God. I can see what he's doing and I choose to follow him, whatever that means. Amen. 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 All right, that's the end of my. Um, <clears throat> that's the end of my, of my mini introduction. That has nothing to do with Titus. <laughs> I hope. I hope um, at least for someone you've, you've been reminded of something. <laughs> I will flog you people. Anyways, let's go back to Titus, shall we? Turn your Bibles to Titus. Where did we stop? Titus two, verse seven. Titus 2 verse 7. As usual, um, okay, no, not as usual. I wasn't reading from the NKJV last time, so that's not as usual. Titus 2 verse 7. Um, thank you, Jesus. All right, so like we said last week, some of you need to pray after this because I feel like I want to pray. <laughs> well, like we said last week, wow, thank you, God. I'm finding it very hard to, to go on. <laughs> Anyways, like we talked about last week, right? A big part of everything we said was that if you truly believe the gospel, there is a way you will live. It would show in your interactions with people. It would show in every single area. And ultimately, the reason is you represent God. We talked about that in part one. What are the reasons we live for God? Number one, because God said so. Number two, because we understand why God said so. And that comes with spiritual maturity. And number three, very important, because we bear the name of the Lord or we represent God to our world. Um, and so it, it makes sense that in verses one or in verse one, where Paul is telling Titus, teach things that are proper for sound doctrine right teach things that are proper for sound doctrine it makes sense that everything that he goes on to say is oh old men live like this young men live like this older women do this younger women do this why verse 5 that the word of god may not be blasphemed 
in the NLT it says that they will not bring shame on the word of God. Because if we are truly the body of Christ, if we truly cling to represent Jesus, then our actions, our choices will always, always say something about Jesus. When people see what you do, in their minds, they are forming an opinion on the gospel. They are forming an opinion on Jesus. And if that is the case, then it's so important how we live. How we live. And so we're just continuing from the um from last week so verse eight right it says oh no for verse seven um let me go back to the nlt until verse 11 it says and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind right um, titus you are the leader of these people be an example let everything you do i love this let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching now does this mean that that means you can't smile you cannot uh, you cannot make jokes says, my teaching is serious it's how are you doing today say don't talk to me like that don't you know that jesus is coming son <laughs> so let's let's go and play say play as a man of god i don't play i do not play <laughs> You're a pastor. How can you be <laughs> dancing? <laughs> Say, what? I don't dance. I don't make skits. I don't smile. I give the devil a hard time. <laughs> As in, no, that is, you just need to read your Bible more because clearly you don't know how to read your Bible. <laughs> that is not what it's saying. In a sense, yes, but not in that sense, right? What it means is, how does something reflect the seriousness of your teaching? It's not necessarily in by you being jovial or not. For instance, if you truly believe that sin separates from God, what does it mean to take it seriously? It simply means you don't sin. Right? To, to, to reflect the seriousness or the integrity, meaning the truthfulness of something, it's to live by what it says. If I really believe that this chair cannot support my weight what does it mean to take that teaching seriously it means i don't sit on the chair that's all it means it doesn't mean i'm serious it doesn't mean i'm not smiling it just means i will never sit on that chair because i have taught that it can't support my weight so if i sit on it right then it means i don't believe what i am saying <laughs> i'm i am my biggest hypocrite because i don't believe what i'm saying so therefore if as believers we believe that Jesus is coming again to judge the world. There's a way we live. Or there's a way we ought to, If you truly believe Jesus is coming again, there is a way you ought to live. If not, we should... It's, it, it begs the question, do you really take that teaching seriously? For many people, the reasons Christians are no longer taken seriously is because of this very verse. We act as though... Mm, we act as though, for instance, Jesus is not the only way. If you really took that thing serious, everyone who does not believe in Jesus that is in your close proximity should at least have known. And they should know the severity of it. But if you are chilling with your guys, you don't really care what they believe, are they expected to take it seriously that you really believe that outside Jesus is only damnation? Do you get what I'm saying? 
Same way, if you believe Jesus is coming again, it would shape the way you live your life, your purpose. You can't, you can't just um, um, be chilling, right? Like, like Paul said, if the resurrection doesn't happen, then who cares? Let's eat, let's drink for tomorrow. We die. And some Christians have fallen into that trap. All they do is eat, drink for tomorrow. They die. How will the world believe that there is an end or that there is life after death? If you truly believe that there is life after death, it will show. If you truly believe that Jesus can come anytime, it will show. And so when unbelievers, for instance, seeing you prior, the way you prioritize certain things, they can start to have a sense that at least for you, you take this, this teaching seriously. And that's the thing, people are skilled at seeing inconsistency. In fact, at, from, from the moment we're babies, <laughs> we know how to detect inconsistency in people, right? That's why you know which one of your parents is the nicer one. You've already seen it. You say, ah, if I ask daddy, daddy will say yes. At five, five years old, you can tell. Mommy will say no, daddy will say yes. So I'll ask daddy. At five, you know, if your mom says I'll beat you, you say, she didn't beat me before. She didn't beat me two days ago. She will not beat me again. You know that it's empty threats. But if you if you know daddy, if daddy says, if you do it one more time, I will beat you. He's going to beat you. You take it seriously. Even as children, we know how to take people. And it's not, so for instance, let's say the mom says, if you do it again, I will beat you. It's not, she's laughing. That was, that's not what the seriousness of our words is not necessarily that she's frowning some people they will shout they will frown but they won't do anything empty words even babies can tell so the seriousness of your teaching or the integrity of your teaching means are you living in a way that shows that you really believe this message are you living in a way that shows that you truly believe that Jesus is the only way? Are you living in a way that shows that you truly believe Jesus is coming again? Are you living in a way that shows that you truly believe that Jesus has changed your life? Or is there no difference? Can we tell? If they cannot tell, then maybe you don't take it seriously. And it's something to ask yourself, what aspect of my faith have I not reflected its seriousness or its integrity? Am I still playing around with sin in certain areas? That means you're not taking it as seriously as you should. Am I, am I like the world, just worrying about my future, complaining through life, as though I have no hope? We the world can do that. We should not. We should not. We should not. Again, it says, let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. In verse 8, it says, teach the truth so that your teaching cannot be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Right? Meaning that as believers... What makes our and I was, I was, um, what makes our message rise above criticism is when it's true. And I was teaching, um, I, th I think last week Friday I was teaching at um, an apologetic workshop, and I, I give that example. If someone asked, if you if you're teaching two plus two is five, 
are you afraid? Are you are you scared? <laughs> Sorry, it's too close to <laughs> Say ah. <laughs> Even can you see my teaching can't be criticized? Two plus two is four. Are you afraid? Are you scared that ah someone is going to poke a hole in your message? No, you teach it confidently, knowing that if anyone disagrees, it's their business. Like it, it doesn't affect your confidence. There's nothing anyone would do today to show you that two plus two is five. At least I hope so. Or in geography, for those that did science, like oh the world is not flat, the earth is round, and then we had all these ways to prove. All these different ways. That, um, I don't know. I can't remember. Put poles in the ground, um, satellite pictures, ocean. Um, the approaching of a of of a, a boat from the ocean. I can't remember. We had like eight. We had to learn for work to prove that the earth was round. But the point there is, when something is true, without a doubt, it can't be criticized not in the sense that people will not criticize it but they will not find they will not find any valid argument to criticize it it's the reason why people like galileo right were killed simply on the cause of their belief they had found without a doubt that the sun was at the center not the earth and planets moved around the sun and so even though people what kind of heresy this that there was confidence when you found something to be true there is always confidence and so as a believer as a minister pay attention to your teaching go for truth because the moment you find truth there is just a confidence there is just a confidence they can hate you right but they will have no valid accusations just like jesus they would find people that would have to lie or misconstrue your words but it doesn't change the fact that what you have believed is true. I remember when it finally dawned on me that we were saved by grace through faith. I didn't care. Like, it didn't matter anymore where I was speaking. I was going to teach the truth because I could defend it. I could defend it. Then, if you say, oh, defend, it will probably be some few verses out of context or stuff I heard growing the moment I saw from scripture that ah, if I believe in Jesus, I'm righteous. Ah, <laughs> I said, it doesn't matter the punishment. It doesn't, I will see what I believe is true. In fact, that's why some of us got in trouble when we we're younger, because as far as soon as you believe it was true, you're like, ah, some of you as children, your teacher teaches you something in class, you start correcting your parents. Why? Truth brings confidence. Say, Daddy, no. <laughs> Daddy, you are wrong. And the matter of like, ah, am I not the one sending you to school? Stuff like that, right? Truth brings confidence. Truth brings confidence. And whenever we don't teach the truth, we open ourselves up to ridicule. It's one of the reasons, again, we see some issues when we think about, okay, what is going on in the church? Are we teaching the truth? It's because for years, we weren't teaching the truth about God's operation in our finances. That's why the world could make fun of us. You see, hundredfold, hundredfold. I'm, I'm multiplying. There's no hundred in your account. It's not times hundred. It's not times hundred. <laughs> you say, eh, this, that. You say, but I'm looking at Forbes list. There's no Christian on that list. What are you saying? You're opening yourself up to ridicule. You're not teaching the truth. And so, your message can be criticized. It's one of the reasons why 
for those that are in Nigeria or where aware, like this guy, Daddy Freeze, that's one of the reasons he got popular. If, if it's because there were inconsistencies in the general understanding of finances and giving, if the majority of the church was teaching the truth, there will be what, what would he have said? Like, what will he say that will will shake anybody up? And of course, I don't approve of his behavior. I think he did more harm than good to the church, even though some of the things he said, the church were actually getting wrong. But, like I had friends, I had people that go to churches where the truth was being taught. Nobody cared what had the freezer. Like, nothing he said was necessarily new or, or shaking or like, oh my God, I've not heard this before. Why? Because you've learned the truth. You've learned the truth. The people that were shaking up, were people that had probably up till that point not examined what they were teaching or what they believed. Again, like Paul says, teach the truth or learn the truth so that your teaching or so that your knowledge can't be criticized. And then he goes on again to continue what he did from last week, right? He's talked to older women, younger women, older men, younger men. In verse 9, he's talking to slaves. He says, slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. Like I've explained in verse um, chapter 1, part 1, right? Like I explained in First Timothy, that is Paul's um, priority. We must give the gospel a good reputation. Not by pretending, but by showing for what it is. And so if, I yeah, come and say, there's no slave, master, slave, all of them, equal. <laughs> no more slavery. Nobody will get saved. <laughs> in fact, Christianity would not have made it past. The Roman Empire would have shut it down immediately. No one would have, the gospel would not have reached it. And so Paul says, even in this broken system, slaves still reflect the gospel still reflect the gospel that is our responsibility wherever we find ourselves let us make the teaching about god our savior attractive not by doing the wrong things not by becoming more like sinners no but do what god has called you to do and make present a proper a clear picture of the love of god the mercy of god the goodness of god and then he goes on in verse 11 for the grace of god has been revealed bringing salvation to all people i'm going to read from here to verse 14 because it's kind of like a poem we'll go through it i'll read verse 15 and we call it a day all right it says the grace of god has been revealed bringing salvation to all people let me go to the nkjv i don't like poems um, in nlt <laughs> um not that there's anything wrong if you don't mind me for the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all men Mm, I like that. <laughs> Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own people, zealous for good works. That's a mouthful. I remember in school, we had to learn um, Titus 2, 11 to 14. Very, very powerful. Very, very important short verses. I, I think a few weeks ago, 
um, I think it was two years ago, I can't remember, that was asking, where are these short verses that summarize our entire Christian faith? So like Romans 3, for all I've seen, and God, glory to God, this, 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 and it goes on to then talk about what God has done. Or Ephesians 2, for by grace have you been saved through faith and have served this gift of God, not of others, and much boast. And it goes on to talk about good works. Those three, four verses littered around scripture that summarize what we believe as Christians. This is one of them. What do we believe as Christians? We believe that God's grace, God's saving grace has been revealed. How was it revealed? John 1, it was revealed in his son. John 1, 14 to 17. John 1, 14 to 17, it says what? And the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace, even truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, we all have received grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So when Titus 11 says the grace of God has appeared to all men, he's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about the revelation of Jesus to the world. That is the revelation of God's grace. In the incarnation, in the death, in the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, we see God's grace. Meaning God's undeserved act of saving, we see it in Jesus. But not only that, it says that the grace of God teaches us. So it's the grace of God doesn't just save us. It teaches us. It teaches us. It teaches us. The word teach, there's a word paedio in the Greek, and it means to train up a child, to educate by discipline, by instruction. Meaning that if you truly believe the gospel, if you've been truly saved by what Jesus has done, what Jesus did on the cross doesn't just save you, it teaches you. We looked at that, for instance, when, I mean, John 13, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Not only did he wash their feet, it became an example that we also ought to wash each other's feet. So in Jesus serving us in salvation, it becomes a picture that we also ought to serve one another in humility and brotherhood. Right? The grace of God doesn't just save, it teaches. If you see how far God went to save you from sin, it teaches you how to view sin. That's this point right so it saves us but it teaches us that first of all we ought to say no to certain things we ought to say no to ungodliness we ought to say no to worldly lusts sometimes you read worldly lusts and you're thinking of sex and and all sorts of bad things not necessarily when it says the loss of this world whatever attaches your desires or places a desire for things of the world over the things of god Worldly loss can include relationships. <laughs> Worldly loss can include a desire for wealth, whether that is through career or business. Worldly loss can, can include a desire for pleasure. It's not the thing in itself. It's the fact that it is now a lust of the world. It is something that you desire at the expense of more important things. For, e for Esau, worldly lust was food. Does that mean 
that we should not eat again because why the grace of god teaches us to deny worldly loss so it shows you that the worldly loss is not in the act alone it is in the desire how badly do you want something how far are you willing to go to get something if you are truly saved then there will be not many in there's nothing in this world that you will desire at the expense of your call to following Jesus nothing nothing the moment you start to sense that tug of war check it as worldly lust as worldly lust the moment you start to sense things are competing for your devotion competing for your love for God competing for your for your commitment to serving God in in ministry or whatever those are worldly lusts no matter how good they are no matter how good they are i think it reminds me of this quote uh i'm trying to remember uh the wesley yes charles wesley's mother defined sin i would read it i would open it and then i'll read it yes susanna wesley when she was asked she this was something she taught her sons john wesley charles wesley what is sin what is sin and this is what she said i'll post it in the chat as well she said whatever weakens your reason whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience whatever obscures your sense of god whatever takes off your relish for spiritual things whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind that thing is sin to you however innocent it may seem in itself beautiful this is what it's just 10 over 10 define sin this is sin this is sin i remember i was talking to a friend one day and i was trying to explain that for as believers it's not oh is it a sin and what you're asking is like clear yeses or noes oh killing is a sin but is this one a sin there's no way in the bible that it says it's wrong from today just ask yourself this thing that i'm about to do <laughs> does it weaken my reason does it make my moral compass less clear does it impair the tenderness of my conscience does it obscure my sense of god does it take away my relish or just reduces it it makes me more interested or less interested in spiritual things whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind that thing is sin to me no matter how innocent she so like ah boy is just a song does it obscure your conscience if the answer is yes don't listen to it don't listen to it oh it's just does it take away some of my relish for the things of god don't do it don't do it don't do it that is that is that is the call to being a believer that it's no more about is it is it a sin yes or no no does it take me even just a step away from god if it does i shouldn't do it i shouldn't do it i shouldn't do it anyways it goes on it says not only do we deny worldliness and ungodly and ungodliness and worldly loss we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present age these are these are things we've talked about time and time again sober meaning nothing is obscuring your sense of reason you're not drunk you're not carried away by the things of this world you're righteous you're godly 
in this present age. We say no to certain things. We say yes to certain things. To be sober means to live your life in moderation, in self-control, in wisdom. To be righteous means to keep on doing the right thing. And to be godly means to do everything with the perspective of God. Right? That is what grace teaches us. You say, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. Not of works. Not of works. Have you been taught by grace? Have you been taught by grace? And then it goes on. Not only do we do these things, we, there's a way to do it. We do it by we do it looking for the blessed hope. So, Dami, Baba, you asked that question earlier. Again, it's I'm answering it. Yes, there is a hope. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Again, is Jesus God? <laughs> Clearly, He is. The appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If truly you believe Jesus is coming again, it will shape the way you look at the world. It will shape the things you value. Honestly, there are things that someone says, I'm like, as a believer, you're like, Do you, is it really at the forefront of your mind that Jesus is coming? You won't talk like this if you really believe Jesus. Like, not, not that you don't believe it, right? There's no Christian that you would ask, Do you believe Jesus is coming back? They would say yes. And that's my point. It's not. It's not that you don't know it. Is it at the forefront of your mind? The moment it's not at the forefront of your mind, just like Susanna said, or Lady Susanna, <laughs> you're getting, you're getting, you're not, you're not as sober as you should. You're getting drunk. You've drank a bit too much. The moment you're not living and it's, it's not the first thing in your mind that Jesus is coming again. You're about to take a decision. Jesus is coming again. You are scared to even that Jesus is coming again. Right? Where it's, you are more aware of where you will be in five years than when Jesus comes. Check it. Check it. Because it's that awareness, it's that priority that informs your choices. Sometimes, some of the things we are spending time asking for the leading of God, if your priorities were shaped strongly by the word, you will know what to do in a heartbeat because you know that one takes me a little bit away from the priorities of God's word and another takes me closer. You would know. You would just know. Amen. It says, who gave himself for us? That talking about Jesus, that he might redeem us, buy us back from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The same thing Ephesians 2, 10, 6. That yes, we are saved by grace. We couldn't earn it. There's nothing we could do. But if you've truly learned the grace of God, you would live in a certain way. And so all of a sudden, you would, you'd, you'd, you'd start to realize that it's a big deal if you hear that two Christians are fighting and they're not, they're not forgiving one another. It's as big of a deal as the, as the dying work of... This is what Jesus died for. Think about that. It's not just, oh, don't go to hell. No. He died that we might be free from sin to live a certain way. And so whenever you see a Christian or whenever you yourself, you're not living a certain way. You're bringing the sacrifice of Christ into question. Think about that. A Christian that lied. He said, there was pressure. I said, Jesus died. <laughs> Think about like Jesus died so that you will not lie. And you're lying. You're lying. Say, oh, uh, um, what's the big deal in 
We're just living together. We're, not, uh, we're still going to marry each other. Are you okay? Jesus died. You're committing fornication. Jesus died. Jesus died. This is what he died for. And you know, uh, <laughs> it's a big deal. When you be, and that's why Paul here is like, ah, a believer is continuing willful things. He said, kick him out. You are insulting what Jesus has done. It's an insult to the work of Christ. It's an insult to the work of Christ. That's why John would, he would go as extreme and say, if anyone among you hates his brother, he's in darkness even until now. I don't care what he says. I don't care how faithful he has been in your services. If he hates his brother, he's in darkness till now. As we're talking, he's still, he needs to come to the light. Our conduct says it lots. <laughs> that's, that's my point. Maybe sometimes we've, 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 We've celebrated as we should the grace of God so much so that we forget that it's a call to live in a certain way. Yes, it's not um, it's not a requirement of salvation. It's not what saves you. But it's a very, very big part of what Jesus did on the cross to save us from sin. When he save us from sin, it's not just, oh, he has forgiven me of everything. Even in the present, he has given me the ability to live above sin. Why would I live in sin any longer? It shows that I don't really understand what he did for me. I don't really understand what he did for me. Every time I prioritize something over, over the kingdom, every time I, I do something that God will not have won, it's like, ah, but I died for this very reason. And glory to God, he does not condemn us, but he definitely calls us to do better. Definitely does. And so if I live every day knowing that I bear the name of the Lord, that I, I, I was redeemed, like Paul would say, not with cheap things like gold or silver. Think about that. But by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, I would live a certain way. I know that there was, I was dying in sin. There was nothing I could have done. Jesus died to save me. Now I'm saved, right? I'm saved. I believe in the gospel. But if I truly believe in the gospel, there's a call to live in my life a certain way. And so don't be that believer that people ask, and yet you call yourself a Christian. Don't be that believer that is that insults people, that gets angry unnecessarily, that is proud, or that derives a sense of worth from from how you dress or what you buy or how much you own or that looks down on people because they don't have a haba haba jesus died jesus died guys <laughs> amen all right so he says he gave himself for us that he might redeem us and purify for himself his own special people zealous passionate you wake up is is good works. That's the only thing of my mind. Good works. I just want to do good, not as I'm not earning anything. And there's a freedom that comes. I'm not earning anything. I'm living in the grace of God. I just just want to just show a bit of God everywhere I go. That is the call. That is the call. 
And then he says, speak these things. Exhort, right? Encourage people. Rebuke whoever is not, is not living this way with all authority. Let no one despise you. Let no one despise you. Talking to Titus. And that says a lot about spiritual authority. That ideally, leaders in the church should be able to exhort, to rebuke. Some places today, if they sit and say, who do they think they are? <laughs> Pastors don't mind their business. They're not meant to mind their business. They are, they are literally shepherds. <laughs> Shepherd does not mind his business. He minds the business of the sheep. They should be able to call you out to encourage you and to also correct you. Say, ah, this thing you did is wrong. Say, ah, all this past, they're just putting their noses in other people's business. I don't even think we have as much oversight in our world today as we should. <laughs> as we should. But anyways, um, I think we'll end there today. When there today. Um, again, it's still the same things. Even as we go on next week to wrap up Titus, it's it's that same emphasis that if you're truly saved it would show in the way you live your life it would show in the way you live your life next week will probably be a quick um a quick wrap up so i guess if you have any questions about anything in the faith <laughs> biblical or otherwise prepare them next week there, there might be a bit more time for questions next week because i think titus 3 will be pretty quick with that said, uh, we've come to the end of today's teaching. I hope you will reflect on the things we've talked about first in the introduction and then in the teaching proper today. I hope you would live your life to show that indeed Jesus died. Someone died for you to live above sin. So, so make it count. Make it count. Amen. Any questions on today's teaching and then we pray. And then we share the benediction and call it a day. All right, Dami, please go ahead. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, I've always thought, um, verse 12, when he says, teaching us that denying ungodliness, I was thinking, mm -hmm. like, grammatically, it's not supposed to be, like, teaching us to deny. So I was thinking, is there, is it, like, similar or um, it's just the same? Because, like, teaching us that... I don't know. I, I just I'm just trying to confirm if there is any more to that. Yeah. So I think it's it's um it's pretty much just semantic. So it's saying teaching us that denying ungodliness, we should live this way, right? So it's it's that it's teaching us to one deny ungodliness, or we live this way by denying ungodliness. Does that make sense? So it's it's pretty much just semantic. It's like saying, um teaching us that abstaining from fast food we should go to the gym every day right so it's what it's saying is that you should do one and do the other they are not mutually sorry they are mutually exclusive you can't do both right you can't you shouldn't go to the gym and eat fast no abstain from fast food go to the gym right um it's and that's why other translations they don't it wouldn't be it wouldn't be an issue it's just the english of that time so verse 12 says, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That's the NIV, NLT. The NIV, the same thing. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. So when the NKJV says, teaching us that denying, it's just old English, right? 
it's what it's teaching us to do but it's it's the way it's phrased makes it clear that you can't live soberly and righteously without denying of godliness does that make sense that they are mutually exclusive that's the point yes it does thank you you're welcome um any other question all right very very straightforward teaching i guess the application will be in what you do with what you've heard today let's pray and then we share the benediction take first timers and call it a day dear lord thank you for your word thank you because every time we come face to face with your word we're reminded we're corrected we're instructed i pray that for everyone here and everyone who would still listen to this teaching that the things we have learned will shape our lives shape our minds that we won't just be hearers of these words but that in every day in every way we live in our thoughts in our words in our actions we would reflect the integrity and the seriousness of our faith that the son of god died that we may have life in jesus name amen 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 all right i would share the bennett my screen for the benediction feel free to unmute yourselves let's take it together one two go i am a diligent, a diligent student, student and do of the word, the word. Mm-hmm. i am a teacher mm-hmm. of the word the word is profitable for my growth by the word i'm corrected, I'm corrected. by the word i am I'm trained in righteousness, righteousness and in the word my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah.